All right. Well, we have this little internal newsletter that ostensibly is supposed to keep us informed on things, which is nice. I really like it because we have the, the editor. He's got such a nice smiling face. You get to see his face every now and then, Stephen, there. It, I always think like like the job of an airline newsletter, an airline magazine editor must be nice. It's fun, right? Like you get to be in the backseat pocket. It's kind of the equivalent of that. Anyways, so I emailed you, guest, because uh, you had one of the little featurettes in there that I thought was interesting mm-hmm. and aligned with a lot of stuff that comes up. Why don't you introduce yourself? Sure thing. So my name is Joanna Beltowska. Um, I'm based out of the New York office. Um, and what I do at Labs is that I head up the product management practice. And I wrote this thing about planning uh, in, in agile environments, right? And how that's uh, often something that people have uh, a misimpression around, that these two things don't go together. But I'm making the case that they indeed do um, and they do so terrifically if you yeah. do it the right way. Yeah, I, I was I was just uh, uh, doing sort of a practice run of a, of a talk I've been putting together about like uh, what what's the deal with DevOps and enterprise architects, um, which I'm probably something you've encountered. And and the uh, in doing that, uh, you know, and and also like looking over your stuff, you kind of realize that the I don't know the early wizards of agile were sort of like I don't ever want you to say the word planning again. <laughs> like, like, the, the, and and uh, of course, there there's some inherent new way of doing it. But the idea of uh, having a long term anything that uh, might restrict you has never really been, uh, I don't know, a very well supported notion in doing mm-hmm. agile oriented things. Which, which you know, uh, tell me, tell me if you experience this. But like, based on on the, uh, I don't know, you might call it the world doesn't seem very helpful <laughs> right like like yeah. i always figure i always figure it's like it's fine if what you're trying to do is try to figure out like what color your hot dog and your augmented reality thing should be like you know you're just <laughs> surviving quarter to quarter and trying to make sure facebook doesn't crush you uh which is a lot more reactive but i don't know if you're like selling insurance you probably have mm-hmm. some long-term plans but um i mean what, what's been your experience of like Working at someone who's uh, at at a, at a in an organization that says like crazy agile is pivotal labs, and then you're like, hey, I have the word strategy and vision on a slide that decomposes down to uh, a backlog. Yep. Like, how how did you come to caring about road mapping? Yeah, so I guess um, there are two two things I, I've I've heard the most often when it comes to planning. One is um, we need to have a plan. Where is the plan? Uh, all this agile stuff seems so uncertain and and we can't take it seriously because we're a serious business doing serious work and you need to have a plan for that so that's one side Uh, and that's often what we hear from our clients who come from these environments where plans are super important for for a number of really good reasons Um, and that's often where they struggle the most um, when it comes to adopting agile methodologies how how, how, how do we uh, take this thing seriously when um, no one can tell us when this feature is going to be ready for us, when this app is going to be ready to launch? Yeah. So that's one side. The other side is, you know, we are the Agile team. We um, understand how important it is to have flexibility, to be able to learn about and respond to change. And we don't want to be bogged down by these plans that, um, you know, are truly these, these contracts um, forcing us to, to deliver against a specific scope, by a certain time, by a certain budget, right? There's no flexibility in that. So you have these two two sides that are, are in true opposition with, with one another. Yeah, you know, that second one, well, well, to, to as, as I like to do, to reword everything you just said to agree emphatically <laughs> with you. Like, I think, uh, you know, the first one is like, oh, we're enterprise. We wear big boy pants. So, like, don't bring your little short pants to us and like mm-hmm. things like that, which, which is fine. I mean, that's a good reaction to change, right? Like, I remember... Uh, I remember when I was, I was, I, I use food analogies too much, but I remember when I was aging, becoming more mature, it was like, oh, being a vegan, that sounds terrible, but I'll consider it, <laughs> right? Like, like, it's just this crazy idea you've never considered that is contrary yeah. to how you think that, uh, I don't know, that you encounter. And, and then there yeah. you go, right? Yeah. And then you're like, Tempe, how do you, how do you actually yep. cook tofu like they do in a restaurant so it tastes good? This is a difficult yeah. challenge. I don't think anyone's it ever... It challenges your entire worldview, right? Exactly. I don't think anyone's ever solved that in the home kitchen, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but then the second thing, I think as, as um, you know, in the past few years and as, as I was like reading over some of your stuff, I think that's one of the more intriguing notions because it is, 
I think I think I think implicit in that is this this idea, this sort of like judoing of stuff of like, well, sometimes a long term plan is a not only a barrier that you need to get over as an agile oriented team, but often it's an actual deliverable. Like you actually have yes. stakeholders and it should be treated. I lose track of functional versus quality features versus like stick figures and all that stuff. But like mm-hmm. it's actually a requirement for you or a story. It's a feature of that needs to be delivered on. And so yes. like if you think about it like that and then equally budget and planning and timing and everything, then it, it's sort of not that big of a deal. <laughs> and, unless the deliverable purely becomes as 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 you call it output instead of an outcome. But um, yeah, it's a good, it's a very comforting reframing of all of that, that, that you and other people are doing in it of like, what if, what if we went back to the Agile Manifesto and we were like, well, we value long-term planning if that's the deliverable <laughs> or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But yes, I, I don't know. I, I don't agree that that should be the deliverable, right? Um, and that is one of those mind shifts that can be so difficult for uh, any organization to make as they try to become more more agile, right? So yep. uh, if we just step away from that buzzword for a second, what does that mean? Well, it, it, it means being able to to um, learn about things as they change, which they always do, right? Um, the environment in which most companies operate today is, is changing so quickly. Um, but it doesn't make sense to try to plan ahead for, for a very long time because those plans are going to change. And so when you're putting too much emphasis on the plans that deliverable, you're missing that bigger picture of, you know, who are we trying to serve here? What are their needs? Uh, what is our competition up to? What new technologies are out there that we could leverage? Uh, that is the really important stuff. It's it, the focus should be on the results that you're trying to create, the change that you're trying to make in the world. Um, and not, you know, on, on creating that perfect plan, which is any, which is going to be um, irrelevant pretty quickly anyway. Right? Unless you keep updating it so that it actually matches uh, the current state of the world and what you know about it today. So, uh, you know, it's always dangerous to speak outside of an industry, uh, I understand. But I would assume in, in other industries, it's sort of like um, long-term planning is sometimes good and sometimes bad. But there would be situations. The reason you would have long-term planning, I would assume, or that it's possible to be more bottoms up is – you have sort of a standardized process of things that you're doing and you're looking to optimize it, right? Like, mm-hmm. like we, we build a widget. Let's safely hide it under an ambiguously named three-dimensional object. <laughs> but we build a widget and we don't really vary the widget very much. And so we optimize the construction mm-hmm. of it. And to some extent, never minding drones and the threat of Amazon and stuff, which kind of proves the, the point that we'll get to. Like, then we also have to get the widget from the factory to the person we're selling it to's hands. So we've got the logistics yep. of doing it and we can optimize that. Like don't ever make left turns or whatever other fantasy of delivery you encounter, right? Uh, yep. and, and so you're optimizing these things and they stay static. And I would imagine your long-term planning for like marketing and sales, that's a lot more agile because that changes all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we in the software world, we're always like uh, slightly precocious about it. And we're like, well, software is very different. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like these, yes. these rules don't apply. And so, uh, you know, I don't always hear this very much. So I'm curious what your answer is. But like and you were alluding to it. But how is software different? Like what is what is the nature of software that, that thus that like an epiphany isn't just like don't make left turns and then do that for five years? Like what what's the nature of software that you you can you can not only worry about long term planning, you can get the benefits of short term planning. Yeah, well, so that's um that's exactly it, right? I think you alluded to it. It's it's the cost of change and speed of change, right? So um, the planning models that most enterprises um, have adopted and, and are utilizing today are based on traditional manufacturing, right? So you had your factory, you were building your physical things, you had an assembly line, right? So you were, you were building machines or cars or you were making and, and packaging, I don't know, soup, right? Physical things, Um which are by nature very, very different from anything that's virtual, like an iOS app, right? So um, when we work on a physical thing, as soon as it goes down that assembly line, as soon as it's in the distribution chain, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to make any changes to it, right? So um, if there's anything that you miss to think about or account for before that assembly line gets started, you are taking on potentially tremendous risk and tremendous cost and, and 
uh, brand damage and you might upset customers and all the people that you have to work with to, to get your um, physical goods out there and into customers' hands. But software is, you know, if, if you set it up right, if you put the right processes in place, it's actually easy to change. It's easy to distribute. And that's, that's the assumption that we make around planning that we often don't realize to, to, to question, right? That uh, virtual things are very different in terms of how they're distributed, how they're changed, the costs involved. Um, yeah, and so we can take very different types of risks when you build software. Exactly, and and that that's another like fun. Uh, you know, I, I get I'm always leery of too many turns out sort of like uh, Malcolm Gladwell types of revelations. But it's sort of like it turns out this long term planning was a constraint you had imposed on yourself, right? And and so if you look at the as you say like the agility of software, you can remove that constraint. And so it's not so much that like needing to have a Gantt chart is the only way to live through life and these agile people are subversive. <laughs> it's just like that was a tool that you were forced to use because of all these problems, because of all this risk. Yeah. So there's no reason yep. to saddle yourself with that when, when you're dealing with, as you say, a, uh, a sort of virtual thing. Yeah, and another important difference is that when you plan, uh, when you plan for, for software virtual things, um, you 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 want to optimize for learning. You want to optimize for that change, right? You're assuming that change is inevitable. It's going to happen. So let's make the best of it. Let's let's you know try to let's accept it, right? It's going to be part of of our reality. Uh, whereas that's that's not possible with physical things. Again, because change is not always possible. If it is, it's extremely expensive um, and time consuming, and it can be really damaging to your company. So when we work with physical things, when we plan for physical things, we have to optimize for predictability. And so we plan um, in different ways. Right? So physical things are often planned um, in a phased way. So someone initiates the, the creation of the thing, conceives of it. Um, there's another phase of analysis, of design, of planning, of building it, of testing it, of distributing it. Right. So we have these very, very long feedback loops, and it's all about extracting uncertainty out of the process so you know exactly what is going to go down that assembly line but um, with software because we do need to have that flexibility we can't we can't plan around outputs right around the actual manifestation of the thing that we're going to push out um, we do want to plan around outcomes in this case so the actual goals that we want the piece of software to, to, to accomplish or the results that we want to create. And the way in which we get to those things is much more malleable, meaning the actual features, while important, are not as important as why we're building the thing. And again, because of that cost of change being lower, uh, the feedback loops being shorter in terms of building the thing and distributing it when it's a virtual thing, um, software lends itself much, much better to planning around outcomes. And goals, um, whereas physical goods don't. And and so so what are what are like some uh, you know a handful of examples of what these outcomes are to distinguish them between yeah. outputs? Yep. So outcomes can be things like um, making our customers happier uh, by making it easier for them to complete some sort of task. Um, it could be things like um, increasing productivity, reducing cost, increasing revenue. So these are results, consequences. They're not, they're not stuff, um, like number of features that you ship um, or the size of the scope that you, that you ship. Right? So it all depends on who you're building the application for and what problems you're trying to solve for them in, in their life or what desires you're trying to, to satisfy for them. Right? Not every app is going to be solving for some, some deep human problem like you know, an Instagram. That's, that's more of a... <laughs> uh, you know, a fun thing, right? It's not a, not necessarily life changing. That's right. Um, thing, right? Um, at le at least for you and me, things. it sounds like maybe there's some people who uh, have you come across this word <laughs> called uh, uh, a planted photo. That that that's like no. it, it's it's a it's not I guess it's not a portmanteau, but whatever you call that kind of word, it's it's a it's a mixture of planned and candid. 
And so it's the idea of like you're an Instagram and you're like, uh, I, th- I think the associated thing is the uh, husbands of Instagram. If you've ever seen that video yep. where the husband always has to go <laughs> way up on the catwalk to take a picture of out of a wide angle. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. Yep. Anyhow, uh, yep. yes, I'm just putting in a joke there. It's true. The, <laughs> the hot dogs are only meaningful to a subset of people, not the enterprises yes. of the world. <laughs> so um, uh, since I interrupted you and broke up your train of thought, I, I mean, so like, 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 can you like, like, well, to be more direct, there's, there's, there's one slide in some of your presentations, or I've only seen one, mm-hmm. I guess. So the one I've seen that I like, which I kind of alluded to earlier, which is the kind of four part walk down from uh, everyone's first favorite vision. That's, that's good stuff mm-hmm. from uh, vision to strategy to uh, I actually forget what the third one is to backlog. I guess it's plan it's or something. Roadmap. Yeah. Yeah. The roadmap. And so like, yeah. what is like, like, let's sort of take it for granted. Well, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't, but like, what are those four columns and and what I'm especially interested in is like how how something like increased customer satisfaction gets decomposed to, for example, uh, we should have a reactive web page that as the user scrolls, they don't have to click on a button to go to the next page. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, sure. maybe that's a bad example, but like how how is that process managed, right? Like how mm-hmm. like what's the, the human interaction of like getting down to that point and realizing that you yeah. need to do that? Cool. All right. So that's a lot of questions. Let's see if we can tackle them one other time. Yeah. You know, uh, I, don't, I don't ask short <laughs> questions. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that framework of vision, strategy, roadmap, and backlog is is exactly that. It's 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 a framework for um, thinking about planning um, and defining um, products, right? Or really, doesn't just have to be products. It can be services, right? Anything really that you do as a company, as an organization, as a team, um, to create value for 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 some group of people. Let's say, right? So it is it is a widely applicable um, framework. So the vision is is the starting point. It's it should be a short, inspirational, ambitious, uh, motivational statement about the change that you want to create in the world, right? It's it's your north star. It's the idea um, that's going to drive all of your decisions, ultimately, as a company, as a product team, as an IC on a team inside of a company. Um, it's, it is that shared focus, and it is that motivation for, for everything that you're doing. So that, that, that's, that's a really important starting point. Without that, you know, you're not going to have um, necessarily the right focus as an organization, um, and it's going to cost you in terms of, um, you know, miscommunication, um, waste, um, just people running around doing different things, yeah. having different being, ideas about what matters, being unaligned, yep. and 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 hopefully yep. won't won't like break your uh, your your train of thought here. But like, first of all, like who who sets that? Like what? You know, there, there's this there's this metaphor I've been trying to use, which is like, you know, we've all well, anyone who's listening to this, we've all read like uppercase L lean manufacturing. And it's like Toyota mm-hmm. figured out how to optimize this. But like, I always want to know, like, who decided to make looms and then who decided to make cars? <laughs> like who sets that initial who's the prime mover of all of this stuff that, you know, the strategy and everything? Yeah. I mean, it's going to depend, right? A lot of times it's the, the person who starts the company or the people who start the company, right? They see an opportunity in the world, um, whether it's to to uh, create something awesome that is going to create a lot of benefit to a lot of people or whether it's to, um, you know, go out and make money. There's those folks too, right? Right. So they come up with the idea of let's build a car or let's build a loom. Um, and... Hopefully that that does come with with some sense of purpose, some sort of vision for for why this is going to be an amazing loom, the best loom possible, right? Yeah. Uh, and not just you know your run of the mill loom. Yeah, no pun intended. Yeah, you know I I I, I, I always think if there's some magical uh, chart of starting a business, the first question in the chart, the decision tree is, do you want to be in the check cashing business? Yep. If yes, easy money. If no, all right. Yeah. <laughs> now the yep. real questions begin. Uh, yep. But yeah, no, that, that, I, I think, I mean, that lines up with, with uh, the, the helpful non-answer that you get is like, I don't know, you got to just decide on something, right? Like someone, yeah. someone has to figure out what it is you want to do or what you can do. And if you're lucky, you've already inherited what it is you're doing and your job yep. is just to, uh, to optimize it. So, yeah. so and then if you have that strong ahead. vision, just, just to, to add a 
you know, a couple more things that are really important. If you don't have, you have that vision, that is what's going to motivate you through those long grueling nights of trying to start a new business, right? Get something right. off of the ground. It's going to help you find people that want to work with you and make this thing a real thing, right? So, um, it's, it's, it has all these other additional benefits. It's, I don't know, it's, people like to come together, um, around a shared goal, around something that is going to create impact in the world. And that is what the vision accomplish help can help you accomplish. Right. And, and, and then, so the next step in your, your magic slide is like the strategy step. So what, what yes. does that start to look like and who me- messes around with that and what's going on there? So this is the master plan. This is how you're going to, uh, make your vision real. So it's a high level plan. Um, if your vision spans, you know, say five plus years, decades, your vision, your strategy takes that down now to a couple of years or maybe even a few months, depending, right? So um, it might actually be good to share an example here. So one of my favorite examples is Tesla. So Tesla is a car company, right? But it's actually not. So, you know, their, their vision is not to, to build uh, necessarily the world's most amazing car. Their vision is to um, help make energy sustainable. Right, to, to create sustainable energy sources in the world. That's the vision. And the car that they're building is a means of getting there. So um, Elon Musk actually does have this thing that he calls his master plan, which is create a low-volume car, which is going to be expensive, then use that money that we make off of selling that expensive car to develop a medium-volume car at a lower price, then use that money to create a more affordable high-volume car, and then ultimately provide solar power by developing these amazing batteries that these cars run off of. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's it. I'm always suspicious of like, you know, tech companies, like uh, th- th- their walk down from that. But that's a good one because usually it ends up being the old uh, mythical pants gnome thing. But that one has a good, <laughs> a good progression of, yep. of uh, you've got this kind of somewhat audacious goal. I mean, it, sort of like practically audacious, if you will. And uh, yep. yeah, yep. that seems like a good bet of how you would practically in big, gigantic picture ways get to that point, right? Like, yep. like if you work backwards from there, what are the, how do we fuel this? How do we fund it? And then also what are the innovations mm-hmm. that will be required to get the, to that point? And then how can we mix yeah. those together? So yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. And, and I guess you can kind of imagine out in more uh, uh, pedestrian examples of like retailing <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. maybe like. Even even when it, you know for whatever reason I use this example too much even like various types of insurance you could figure out similar strategies of how to get to some yeah. end point right like maybe in the insurance business I mean this would sound crazy for insurance people but it's sort of like what if I just wanted to buy insurance for ten minutes like maybe there's mm-hmm. a way to work back to how you would get to that point of like this spot insurance stuff which um, I don't know that would seem to like make actuaries heads blow up if you mess with like an annual or a longer term for, for the gamble of insurance, but mm-hmm. there must be some way of getting there. Yeah. And it would make you stand out. Right. Yeah. And you'd be able to build a business around that. So, so then, so then you get to, well, first of all, so, so vision, you know, you can represent that, uh, you know, verbally or in a really, a really wordy plaque on a wall somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so that that's fine. But like, how do you, how do you both see, in, in good ways and maybe bad ways, how do you see and sort of recommend people like uh, document their strategy? Like mm. what uh, do they need one of these six page Bezosian memos with 20 pages of appendix to it? <laughs> or like, is it good in a PowerPoint or like, how do you, how do you set that down in stone, so to speak? Yeah. I would say, you know, Try to keep it. Try to keep it simple, because it's not. If it's not simple, people are not going to get it, and people are not going to care, and people are not going to know that it exists, right? So, these things do typically live in these very, very long powerpoints um, that not everyone has access to. But just write it up on a wall. Keep it close to a team, right? Um, when you have town halls and and, and gets t- together to talk about what different teams are up to and where the company's headed share those vision statements and strategies out and just keep them really simple and short, right? A vision statement shouldn't be more than two or three sentences long. Um, a strategy statement can just be a list of bullet points. Yes, it can also be you know, a very long document with a lot of detail and, and analysis. And that context is sometimes um, necessary. Um, but yeah, I guess I would say try to try to at least get to one version of these things that is so simple and easy to understand that anyone can access it 
and get it and internalize it and understand why these things matter right. and feel inspired by them. Yeah, like your Tesla one's a good example of that, right? And 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 so like also also at the strategy stage, and and I have like way too much interest in this because for a couple of years I worked in the corporate strategy group and stuff. So uh, there were many overly educated. Uh, overly driven people <laughs> who had theories about how you do strategy <laughs> in, yep. the, in, in the same way that a bunch of developers will like uh, gl- entertain themselves and off time discussing like different ways to do pagination. Like all the MBAs will talk about how you determine strategy, which is mm-hmm. can be fun. Maybe <laughs> anyways. Uh, so, so, so like how, I don't know, how long do you think that phase takes and like, what do you do? Do you just like call up Bain and or I guess maybe labs <laughs> and have them come in and use their summer interns to pump out like a 30 page document with the one pager for you or like what what are you seeing people are doing when they're figuring out that strategy or or to ask it another way, what are they doing that's helpful downstream mm-hmm. when it comes to making software around it? Yeah, I mean, I would say um, these things need to be tested and validated um, they aren't always, right? Sometimes if you take the traditional approach, you're going to call up your favorite consultancy. They're going to spend months and months working on this thing, wordsmithing it, um, and then hand it over to you in a pretty PowerPoint. I, I don't know if that really is, is the best way to spend your time and money, right? right. Um, you can come up with something that is much more um, scrappy in a couple of days or a couple of weeks by talking to people, by watching them interact with the world around them, uh, by seeing what else is out there and formulating a hypothesis about what the opportunity is to create something better, whether it's you know a car or um, a battery or, or whatever else it might be, um, you know, and, and put together some some simple essentially prototype of that. Write down your vision statement on a piece of paper and put it in front of people and see how they respond to it. Um, same thing with with a strategy, right? Identify your master plan. Um, and try to start to implement it and see how it goes. Um, I think you can make much more progress that way um, in many cases than spending tons and tons of money and time um, coming up with these things that feel incredibly robust and sound and look beautiful but haven't actually been tested Mm. um, in a real sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the, um, back when I was doing strategy, one of the, uh, what would you call them? more firebrand and thus more unemployable persons that uh, mm-hmm. I worked with. Like he, he was, uh, this was, this was like at the apex of lean startup stuff. And uh, every single presentation he did, it was just a reason to get to a slide that talked about lean startup stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it, it does, it does get to the point that you're saying is to, to tell me if this seems right to summarize, like your strategy should be testable. And and by yeah. testable, we also mean that if the test comes up negative, that doesn't mean that you don't make your bonus. That means that you go back and you get the chance to get it right and reformulate it yeah. again, right? And and so that would be a good smell, if you will, for the people who are overseeing strategy gener- generation is like, well, how would I test this? And then we don't need to know exactly what we would do next. But like, if it's successful, then what? And mm-hmm. if the test isn't successful, then what do we do? And like, yeah. like I don't want to spend three months figuring out you know, Monte Carloing out all the different simulations, but like, let's maybe spend a few hours on it <laughs> just to like, yeah, just to like think out what the testable things are in it. Yep. And this, this goes back to something that we talked about earlier on, in, earlier on in our conversation about predictability versus learning, right? Um, if you come up with a, with a master plan and you start to test it and it's not working out, that's not failure. That's learning. Right. It means that you have learned sooner and later that this thing is not working out. This was not the right idea. So let's try something different. And it's not something that you should be punished for. It's something that you should be rewarded for, if anything. Right. All right. So we got this we got this good testable strategy. We've all uh, we've got we've been reading our lean starter book so much that the spine's cracked and we're missing a few pages. (laughs) We set some coffee on it or kombucha or whatever. And uh, and then. We're going to make kind of like the, uh, I, I think the crown jewel of the, the sort of theory you, you've, you've worked on in this body of work, the, the roadmap, right? So, yes. So what, what is this roadmap? So now we're getting down to the actual timeline and tactics of how we're going to make our plan real, right? So um, one, one way that I try to explain this um, in, in the slides that you refer to is through this visualization of, um, you know, imagine that you're standing in front of a mountain. 
And your vision is to get beyond that mountain, is to reach something that is at the other end of that mountain. So how you intend to get over the mountain is your strategy. You could climb it, you could dig a hole under it, you could walk around it, you could drill a hole through it, but that's your strategy. That's the plan for how do you intend to, to get across that mountain. Um, and everything, um, well, what the mountain represents is everything that's in between, right? all the barriers that are in your way. So when we think about the roadmap, it's the actual map that you're holding in your hands as you're standing at the foot of that mountain and you're looking up at and you're trying to, to get a sense of what would it mean to, to begin to climb this thing? What do I have to pack? What do I have to bring with me? How many people are going to need to have with me? Uh, what sort of skills and experiences do these people need? How much food should we pack? How should we get dressed for, for this expedition? So all that stuff is going to go into your roadmap. And you're going to have a pretty good sense of what you need to do immediately. Because you've done a lot of research. You have a pretty good visibility into that initial um, phase of your journey. But then after that, things get a little bit more fuzzy. Right? So again, looking up the mountain, you might see that there's a peak coming up, but it's covered by clouds. So you can make some guesses about what um, the, 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 temp the, the landscape is going to be like at that point of your journey. But you still have to do a lot more research, and you're just not going to know until you get closer to it. So you have some initial ideas, but you know that you can't create a good plan for, for dealing with that part of your journey quite yet. And then beyond that first peak, you just have no visibility at all. So you don't know what's coming up. Again, you can make some initial guesses, some high-level guesses, but you don't know exactly. You need to do much more research. And so um, the idea behind an outcome-oriented roadmap is the same. We have a lot of visibility into the first leg of our work. And after that, things get fuzzier and fuzzier. And we're not going to try to plan um, too far into the future because things are going to change. We're going to learn about new things. The landscape is going to change. So we're just going to plan as much as we have to um, for now. So, so in, the, in, the, in the roadmap thing, you're, you're, you're paying a lot of attention to uh, what's going to be happening like week to week, I guess. Sort of like challenges that you might encounter, problems you're going to need to solve, constraints that you'll have. And as you say, like coming up with tactics <laughs> that, that you would do. <laughs> I, and, and, and I guess not only to like solve those problems, but to like keep moving forward as it yeah. were, right? Like what, Absolutely. what, how are we going to set things up so that we don't end up dead in the water? Like, what are we, yep. what are we going to do? So, you know, we, we get lost in, in, I think in the software world down a hole of metaphors. Cause our trade is like so new that we can't, whatever the opposite of a metaphor literals, like we can't speak literally about stuff very much, but like, it's sort of yeah. like, if you're going to be on a old uh, sailing ship thing, your roadmap kind of might be like well, we're probably going to have to spend two weeks going nowhere, so we should bring some food, <laughs> right? Yep, like, like, that's probably a good idea, yeah. <laughs> like, like we're going to need some plans and tactics to deal with the, the bumps and the stuff that we have. And, and yeah. you know, what exactly we cook on day eight of being dead in the water, we'll leave that up to the backlog. <laughs> but, but as far as, yep. like, knowing that we need to be ready and have a process for that, like, we need to roadmap this up to match our strategy of, like, I guess this is all, like, sometimes historically morally bankrupt, but our strategy of expanding our empire so we can get more cheap resources to like fuel, uh, you know, our 13 course Edwardian meal. But like, you know, yep. and then, then, then our yep. vision of just living the life for the, uh, for yeah. the king. But anyways, it kind of maps all the way down to like one day the, uh, the gaunt chef is like cooking up some, some fish in the galley <laughs> there, I guess. But no, no, that makes it. And then, and then, so I'm, um, I'm curious, uh, to try to retrieve myself from weird historic analogies. Uh, like, so what are some examples of what these roadmaps not only look like, but like folks you've worked with, like what do the roadmaps end up being? Like what, what are they? Oh, you mean like what's like the manifestation a, of the roadmap? Yeah. Like what's, example, what's ex examples of them. Um, so I'm not sure if this is what you're looking for, but typically the shapes that they take are stickies on a wall. They can be a Trello board. They can be an Excel sheet. They can be a Google Doc. They can be a PowerPoint. Um, and then there's tons and tons of different um, apps out there that just help you put together a roadmap. So just web apps that you sign into and you build a roadmap and then you can share it with other people. So that's what these things often end up looking like. Um, then in terms of what you stick into them, um, there's a number of different ways of doing this. Um, but I would say... The most important components to account for are your time horizons. So 
So what I was alluding to when I was talking about standing at the bottom of the mountain and looking at your roadmap, your, your actual piece of paper that helps you navigate this 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 mountain, um, you want to split it up into different chunks of time. So that can be um, what we're going to do right now, what we're going to do next, what we're going to do in the future. And you can assign to each of those time horizons, you know, a month, a quarter, I would say probably not longer than a quarter because you do need to have um, decently short feedback loops to, to um, account for those changes that are going to happen. Right? So you've got your time horizons. Um, those are going to be your uh, columns just to help folks visualize what this might look like. And then um, looking at the rows going down, you want to have your desired outcomes or your goals. Right? So um, this is the equivalent of identifying milestones, essentially. How far up the mountain do we want to go during, uh, you know, this first quarter or, you know, this first leg of our journey. So you've got your, you've got your goals, your desired outcomes, the results that you want to get to. Then you've got your barriers or problems to solve. So why is this desired outcome that we're trying to get to? Not real yet. What, what do we have to work through to make it a real thing? After that comes metrics, super important, because you need to close that feedback loop. Right? How do we know that we've actually realized our goal? How do we know that we are where we want to be and where we need to be? You need some sort of um, metric to, to track your progress against that. And then after that, you've got your actual tactics. So these are your features and your scope, the actual stuff that you're going to do and the stuff that you're going to build. And I would say those are the most important pieces. And you can also expand your roadmap with other things that might be important to, to your organization. Things like um, which customer are we focused on now? Which persona are we focused on right now? Um, what critical assumptions do we have to test? Right? What, what do we still have to learn before uh, we can assume all this other stuff in our current column to be, um, to be things that we have confidence in? that we can act on. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean that's, that's sort of uh, marveled with more of the, uh, the testability tactic, <laughs> which, yep. which, which I think, and, 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 and as with so much of this stuff, right? Like, like it also gives a, um, a more comforting bent to metrics, right? Like KPIs and mm -hmm. metrics are always not very friendly <laughs> from an individual standpoint, but, but it's almost like, if you think of metrics as as the way that you're testing something and validating yeah. that something's happening and figuring out how well or poorly thing I mean the poorly part's the problem but you know figure out how things are going <laughs> like it do, it does make it more interesting also from the standpoint of just like producing this stuff of like your uh you're architecting out a model like almost this mm -hmm. uh sort of organism of like your ongoing work and like I don't know. That's a lot more exciting than like a uh, Mecco chart or something, right? Like so, yeah. so much, so much like strategy stuff that I encounter, and and you know, planning and things like that. Um, and I'm sure it's not all like this, but it almost has this like uh, boring sort of like uh, th this this boring arrogance, which is sort of like if we do this, profits will yep. rise. End of story. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's it's yes. not like. It's not like the it's not like the question mark of the pants gnomes of like and so like how oh, no, are, how are we going to make sure this all works out well? But so it seems yeah. a lot more entertaining. Yep, yep, yeah. And you've got all these things together working as a system, right? They have to align with one another, and they all help you. Um, they all help you see how things are going and if you need to change anything, right? So it takes a lot of the guesswork out of building good products and solving real problems for real people. Hopefully. So, so, so then, so then, tactically, one area I think that uh, you know you have a paper on is, or a little write up, whatever you want to call it, uh, is um, is basically like, so how do you run the the whiteboarding sessions where you kind of come up with this stuff and mm. and and like what what's always interesting about that is like, I mean, we've all actually, you know, we've all read uh, the lean startup thing or like the five dysfunctions of teams, and then we have a nice weekend and we go back to work and you're sort of in the room and you're like, holy crap, I actually have no idea what I should do. <laughs> <laughs> right yep. and and yep. so like so like so stuff like this is like good because it's tactically like all right you're in the room everyone's talked about what they did on the weekend they've got fresh coffee here's a marker go right so yep. like like what yep. uh how do, how do you kind of bootstrap into that and what do you do in these sessions where you're trying to get to those swim lanes of things that you're going to yeah. be doing yep 
So it's probably going to be really hard. <laughs> so, and and how, it, how it actually might happen is going to depend a lot on, on your company. Right? Because as we, again, as we talked about before, different people, different layers of the organization might own these different pieces of that framework, right? The vision, the strategy, the roadmap, and the backlog. Uh, it's not always the product team owning all these things. So um, I would say a good starting point is get your team all together in a room and you want to make sure that you have people representing product. So that's your product manager, product owner, whatever that role is in your organization. You also want to have people representing um, the, um, the customer and the product design. Sometimes that can be the product manager, product owner. Sometimes that is a product designer or your UX researcher. And then you also need to have um, engineering in the room. Right? Because these people together um, tasked with making sure that the product is something that people want, something that we can build and maintain. And it's something that is going to help us um, have a viable business around the product. So those perspectives are all important. And they have to come together to, to inform the roadmap. So you want to have those people in the room at a minimum. And then you start by trying to articulate what the vision is. And so what is this thing? Why should anyone care? How is it helping our customers um, solve whatever pain point they might have? How is it helping our company uh, be more successful? So you want to capture that. Then you want to capture your strategy. Again, um, it's about identifying that master plan. And just going a little bit deeper into what that means, it's about making a lot of different choices. You want to think about who is our customer here? Right? Who do we want to potentially start with? Right? We might have several people that want to serve through this product, but maybe not at the same time. Are there specific markets that we care about, whether it's a geography or a vertical? Um, how do we think about pricing? Um, what is going to make us different? Why should anyone pay attention to this thing that we want to create? Why would they pay for it and use it? So you're, you're trying to make all these choices about um, how you're going to navigate the world. Um, assuming that the team owns these pieces, you know, you're, you're pretty much done with them and you want to go out and start testing them and implementing them and see, see um, how, how they do when they meet, uh, when they meet contact with the real world. Um, if these are things that are owned by someone else in the organization, say a chief product officer or um, someone at the director level, you want to take them back to that person and just make sure that you've understood them correctly. Now, you need to get that validation, at least internally, um, in case someone else owns these pieces and is thinking about them. And, and so, so yeah, it's, it's, and, and, and just to like kind of uh, bullet point it out, it seems like uh, like, you know, so you got, you got this matrix. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll find a, uh, a version we can put in the show notes, but you've got like your, the outcomes that you want. And then as you're mm -hmm. saying, the, the metrics that you're going to use to measure it by, and then, and then essentially like the features, the thing, <laughs> right. Yep. And, I, and I think, yep. I think, I think, you know, in the document I've been looking at like retail on e-commerce, as we used to call it is always a good example. Mm -hmm. Cause yeah, everyone's a user of e-commerce so you can understand it. And you know, there's, there's the typical, I guess there's there's a couple things at least represented in the example you have, right? There's uh, uh, our in order to well, ultimately, I don't know if this is vision or strategy, but it's like we would like people to give us more money in exchange for things that are they're buying from from us, right? Like, yep, that would be cool, <laughs> right? That would be um, great, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you could have optimization things like profit of like we would. We would like to, uh, we need to have robots who pack things because then we can eliminate the cost <laughs> of humans. So, but anyways, let's put that aside, uh, the internal yep. operation stuff. But like, you know, you could say, so like, uh, we have a, th we think that if people like saw more reviews of stuff and got more material on our site, they would yeah. buy stuff from us. So like, let's have videos and reviews or whatever. So there's like that yep. category of like, you could almost call it like, uh, juicing the the retail experience of deciding yeah. to buy something, and then there's the other one. The other annual favorite is you know too many abandoned shopping carts. Whether that's yep. like opportunities or whatever, and yeah. and and I think you know in in the in the um the process that you have, like it makes a lot of sense that you would decon. These are the things we want to get to, and so like like how would we measure that and how would we do yeah. that and and like it seems like the other thing about you know, like the way you're going over it that I think is a lot different than how most organizations go about this is like 
to put it in snarky terms, like it's probably a good idea to have the people who are going to be implementing this in the room too, <laughs> to tell you yeah, if you're, if you're full of crap or not. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. So that is the product team, right? Yeah. That, I, that I mentioned, that's the PM or PO, the engineers, the designers. Um, and if we just talk about this specific piece and the specific example with the desired outcomes and what we're actually going to build to make those things real, um, that collaboration, um, that might be a collaboration with some leadership in your organization, right? Where they say, our business goals this year are to increase revenue, right? To, to um, you know, decrease whatever it is, uh, important metric that needs to be decreased. And then it's up, it should be up to the product team to say, okay, let us go and do some research and try to understand what's going on here. Um, how might we sell more, Right. Um, is it that people are abandoning their carts too much? Is it that they can't find the checkout button? Is it that our product photos are so crappy that no one feels compelled to buy our stuff, right? Um, and once the product team has identified what is going on, what's, what are the potential problems here, um, they should be the ones who come up with the solutions and test the solutions. Yeah, yeah. No, that may, and, and there's also like to use like a Nassim Talabian thing, right? It's sort of like, you want as many people of those to have skin in the game, right? To to yes. to benefit and not that we pivotal people would like this, but to benefit and suffer, <laughs> <laughs> to have yeah. all the great human motivations to, yep. to make sure they're doing things well versus the kind of throw it over the wall long-term planning that you would see where someone's just like, we should enter Latvia as a market. Yep. See you later. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right. And yeah. and not really have the uh, the consequences of if that was a good idea that thus drives doing all of the work needed to uh, ongoing Absolutely. make sure it's panning out. Absolutely. And when you empower your product team to do that work, um, you're going to move faster because you have these people you have you know, at the very least um, the designers but also typically the product managers, often also the engineers, talking to the actual end users and customers, right? So you have those conversations happening much more often at a much bigger volume than if you um, have, you know, really senior people in your company dictating what the features should be, right? Mm. So you have much shorter feedback loops between the people building the product and the people that the product is intended for. And you also have, um, so you're going to have many more data points. You're going to have many more conversations, many more observations of these people that you're building for, which means that you're going to understand them better. You're going to empathize with their problems much better. And you're going to come up with much better solutions. Yeah. Well, well before we wrap up, is there any uh, vital thing we're leaving out? I mean, we left out the whole backlog thing, but that's probably a whole other discussion. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like in, in getting to that point, uh, you know, from everything we've talked about where you actually do have a backlog and you're like, all right, let's open up the crazy, you know, Roboto slab green on black screen and start coding this thing. Right. Like, is, is mm -hmm. there anything like we, that vital that, that we're missing? I think so. One of the things that I uh, feel the most passionate about in terms of shifting the way that we plan from outputs to, to outcomes, right, or from having these long feature lists that someone has come up with to, to actually empowering the team to solve their problems and come up with their own solutions mm. is the idea of employee happiness, right? So I think anyone who works in software is really motivated by having an impact. And when you're given a thing to build with very little context without understanding the big picture, that's not super exciting. It's not super motivating. It's not super engaging. You sort of just churn out these features, but you don't really know to what end or, right. or you know, right? Um, and if you actually share that context with teams, if you get, if you, if you allow um, engineers even to think about who is the user, what, how can we, how can we do something for them that makes them happy or makes their life easier? You're going to get so much more out of out of your people. Uh, you're going to build much better products, and you're going to have much more motivated teams, right? People yeah. who stay with you longer, who do better work. Um, and are who much who are much happier? Yeah, I think that's that's something that um, a lot of companies sometimes forget about. Um, that you have all this pent up creativity um, in your people uh, that you can let loose if you just give them a little bit more trust and empower them a little bit more. Yeah, no, this is another one of those areas of like uh, corporate mysticism <laughs> that I that I think recently is being demystified. And and I mean just that. 
in 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 the sense of it sort of like uh without without as you as you went through the supporting facts for it sort of like you should have your people be happy it's sort of like yes and <laughs> i i should also eat a low calorie diet right like yes. i mean all, all all sorts of things i can shit all over the place and see what happens but like uh it it is like like trying to be empathetic towards the uh, or you know you know hack hack something out with sort of an empathetic sort of thing with the senior managers yep. it's like well even the most devilish of y'all is motivated by money, right? And so your <laughs> happiness is derived by increasing the share price. And so that's what motivates you, right? Like, and if you mm-hmm. weren't motivated by that, you kind of intuitively know that you would do a crappy job, <laughs> right? So that's that's what you're motivated by. So think about, like, your staff all the way down the chain. Like, they need some motivation to be yeah. happy and do what they want, or you get, like, a new me plant situation, right? And so, like, yep. you should figure out, like... Like, and it, it couples with another thing that I think, uh, I don't know, us wacky, agile people are kind of always going on about is like, uh, you know, humans are pretty expensive, valuable resources. And mm-hmm. you probably manage your paperclip supply more closely than you manage your humans. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, maybe you should think about how you're managing and optimizing the humans because they're much, they're much more confusing and difficult things to manage yeah. than paperclips. But, like the rewards and the risks are a lot huger than just like making sure you're optimizing the amount of paper that you have in your printers and in, in the building. Yeah. And, and a lot of times big organizations, um, manage your people closer, but not necessarily better than they manage their paper. Clips, right? <laughs> right. Because right. they have That's a lot well of oversight. Yeah. You, know, you have all these management chains. Uh, you have like, you'll have a line manager just that is sitting and, and sort of watching you over your shoulder. Right. Um, and that is not the best way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks for coming on this. This is good. It's uh, it's good to, you know, normally we cover just sort of like the straight up, like more Lockean infrastructure software stuff, but it's good <laughs> every now and then to resurface and see what the Eloys are up to in, in the, uh, the more, the top of the stack. So that's, that's helpful. And, and like I was saying at the beginning, like, uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think at least, you know, not only in my work at Pivotal, but my ongoing sort of like figuring out how to do software better, like, uh, this is the thing that hasn't really been figured out is like, so then if we go back up to whatever it is those business strategy people do, that seems mm-hmm. to always become a buzzsaw that we get severely cut on. <laughs> like, yeah. like it kind of, it's limiting our ability to like make the world better with software. Uh, Cause yep. people, as, as you were talking about at the earlier, people just like, they sort of like brain fart on it. It doesn't really yep. make sense for them. So. Yep. And it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it turns out, I mean, this is a little bit of whichever bias this is, but like, you can engineer this like you can engineer anything else. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Which uh, it would be fun to like figure out one day things you can't engineer, but I don't know. Maybe <laughs> there isn't anything you can't engineer. So if people want to, uh, I don't know, follow up with you like online or whatever, you got a you got a Twitter account or uh, anything you want to throw out there. I do. Uh, I am on the Twitter. Uh, my handle is jbiltowska. All right. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, you know, you can probably search around for it and find it. But uh, but thanks again. And with that, this has been another episode of Pivotal Conversations. If you want to get the most recent episodes the most quickly with the fancy little flash player and everything and see past ones and things like that, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Pivotal Conversations. And unlike this week when I've been too busy, usually every Thursday we formally post some show notes over at pivotal.io slash podcast. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>